Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 22 from October 7th, 2019. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And well, this week I was on the road visiting E3D and a creator event in the UK. I gonna tell you guys about which was really interesting uh well speaking of youtube being a youtube creator maybe you guys have heard but youtube wanted to take away um our or at least my youtube verified sign which i earned <laughs> uh but yeah they kind of um changed their mind again and they are uh yeah letting me keep it unfortunately tom still didn't well he, he didn't have one so <laughs> yeah uh youtube doing youtube things um we're also going to talk about lego doing lego things and removing community designs from my mini factory thingiverse and the other sharing sites <sighs> lawyers man uh in positive news uh we talk about what has changed since we both started 3D printing? We, we started at a bit of a different time. Uh, I was a bit earlier. I was 2011. Stefan started in 2014, 13, 14. And yeah, we look back at what printers were like back then. It was it was a different world. For two community questions that we're answering, um, belt printers, the white knight, the angled belt printer, whether that's something that we should be building or using and whether tool changes and combinations of a subtractive process and an additive process, <clears throat> excuse me, is actually something that is worth looking into and we look into why it's not something that exists yet. Yeah, let's start this one with uh, the all-time favorite, E3D. You've yeah. been at E3D for the first time, right? I finally been at E3D. Uh, yes, so I was pretty much on the road the whole last week so at first i was on like just a regular business trip um from like my normal job and then i took a plane to birmingham uh dared to drive on the wrong side of the road oh you actually did do that how was that uh so when i was in birmingham at the airport i actually asked for an automatic because i didn't want to bother shifting with, with shifting hand. on the wrong side Ooh. and then also still driving on, then also additionally driving on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> they just said, okay, yeah, they just have that in like their luxurious cars, but they gave me what? a pretty good deal on on a Mercedes-Benz S-Class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so why I, not? I was like the biggest pimp. <laughs> just, that, but that's, that's weird. If you rent a car in the US, you only get automatics, like nobody drives yeah. stick. But in the UK, apparently stick is, is still a thing. Stick is obviously still a thing. I don't okay. know if he actually just tricked me because <laughs> I noticed that they did not have enough cars. So actually he wanted to upsell me to one of the like more expensive ones. So that but you would have gotten one anyways, probably. I don't know. There were still plenty available, but some at some point at this day, they were running out. Well, whatever. Right. So um, yeah. Worked out? It worked out. The car was pretty interesting. I just was too stupid to fiddle around with with the controls. And the only thing I figured out after like half the way to Oxford is 
that I can use voice control to change the temperature in the car to to, to turn on heat, heat seating <laughs> oh, it's, because I just it's didn't, the new Hey Mercedes. Yeah, I just didn't figure out how to change the temperature in that car, and it was set to low, and it was a horribly horribly <laughs> cold day, and it was freezing my <laughs> ass off in that car. So yeah, anyways, um, it wor- it worked out all right. I as I said, I never, I've never been driving on like the left side of the road. Uh, it was scary when I was still on the parking lot at the car rental place. But as soon as I was on the road and there were a couple of cars, it was all right. But I thought the Italians liked roundabouts. No. Yeah, <laughs> the the oh, Brits, it's a, it's a the Brits just adore, adore. Three-lane roundabout with like where you have to, to yeah. sort into the right lane before you get into it. And then it, it's like a turbine style. Uh, yeah. Um, that was confusing from time to time. I I think I figured sure. out how it works pretty well, but still, that was kind of unusual. Uh, unusual. No. Uh, yeah. Then I arrived at E3D. Uh, was like really warmly welcomed. Uh, and showed around the shop, and then had the time to talk to the guys there. So Sanjay was there. Dave was there. Uh, uh, I'm so bad with names. So everyone was there. Right. Um, Josh. Josh was there. Sorry, exactly. <laughs> Sorry Josh. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Yeah. Uh, no, and we talked about like the current things they're working on, the uh, E3D Hermes. Hermes. Yeah, obviously. So that, that is now out. That is now officially. Well, it's not. It's not out. It's. It's it was announced. announced. It is yeah, announced, but we'll probably talk about that in in a second. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, so yeah, and just I just was able to take a look at their their operation there, and they started out with like five guys on the Isle of Wight or something like that. Isle of Wight. Isle think. of Wight. Yeah. Some something something. Yeah. And they are now fifty people doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pff, all of their R&D stuff, sales. <laughs> he started laughing. SMB, we, have an, quality, we have an HR department now. Say again? They have an, e, uh, an HR department now. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when, when you have that, it's like, okay, you're a proper business now. You're yeah. a proper company now. And I yeah. just, yeah, we were like four hours down in the workshop where they have all of the printers, all of the tool changers, but also their machinery to do prototyping and stuff. Uh, it yeah. was awesome. It was really awesome to see. And all the guys were really, really nice and helpful. So yeah, I they're, really they're enjoyed great it guys. Um, I was there pretty much exactly a year ago. And uh, I mean, that they just started moving into that that new building that they're in right now. And I think they've already expanded from that again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they just keep running out of space. Like they're in a, in a business park, basically. Mm-hmm. And they just keep like sucking up building after building in there. Next to a military like range military where they do. Airport, yeah. Um, how do you say schleudel sits in, in English? Um, uh, ejection seat. Ejection seat tests. <laughs> so Claire told me just from time to time you hear the sirens and then just a whoosh. <laughs> yeah. When they do another. I, I think I heard tests. one of them when I was there. Yeah. No, it's, it's, really nice. it's really nice there. Um, so yeah, one of the how, things. How did, how did, sorry? How did, how did you like the British food? Okay, <sighs> let's move on to the Hermes. That's one of the things they showed you. Yeah. 
maybe the British food is the reason why my stomach isn't that good at the moment, but nah. Um, it's it's fatty, to be honest. It's it's really heavy yeah. food. It's really, really heavy food. It's working class food. I mean, that's what the, the full English breakfast is, right? You have your, your beans, your, mm. your sausage, your bacon, um, to, to have the energy to actually physically work during during the day um it's not like the, the light european where you just have a toast no. and some some jam on there and then yeah. you're like the lazy ass who's only sitting in like the office <laughs> and getting fat <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah so you, you saw the hermes i you saw have, the hermes. have one i finally I, I, have a, yeah. a hermes um yes sanjay teased me quite a while back and i told him yeah don't bother sending me one because i'll be there in october and before that i'll just be on holiday and don't have the time to work on it so yeah. does yours say pre-production my Probably. mine says pre-production okay. yeah they're still in the process of doing all of the like quality assurance and things like these as uh yeah they're not small anymore and having a product release also means that they need to do proper testing of the stuff they send out because if they have a big recall that could kill a company yeah, and especially at the volumes that are moving right now. Yeah. Um, back when Titan was released, um, Titan did apparently have an issue with uh, the bearing uh, that exactly. would wear out. So I think they've learned from that and, and are not keen on repeating that. No, yeah. definitely But then not. back then, the, the volumes weren't as big as they are today. So, no, no. Uh, yeah, they're not. definitely planning on having them available when it's launched and having them in stock. Mm -hmm. Um, I think mid-November yeah. is when they are actually, yeah, thinking about launching them. But I think there's no precise date at the moment. So I keep hearing November. Yeah. So let's just say November. November sometime. something. Next something. Um, yeah. The the cool thing about the Hermes. So everybody who knows like the Titan extruder or the Titan Arrow, especially, is um, like this really compact direct extruder where like the face. Like the faceplate where all the gearing and stuff like that is acts as the heatsink for the hot end. Um, and well, previously they machined it directly out of aluminum. It was like expensive to machine and uh, there were some issues with the design. But now since they do have kind of like the the financial background and also the scale that they have. Yeah, the volume. The vol volume. Um, they actually switched to um die casting die cast yep. parts uh so the advantage with the die cast parts is it makes the extruder um or actually the feeding part uh less expensive because you only need to machine uh, a couple of surfaces and it enables them to create this um really like unique looking uh for f um this unique unique looking uh fin pattern on the on the heatsink yeah so that that fin pattern actually serves two purposes um i mean i've, I've interviewed uh sandra tct as well but because it's it's die cost it's it's a lot thinner so it's a lot lighter than than leaving those um those ridges with machining mm. so it cools the hot and of course it does that but it also kicks the air up mm. uh and away from your part because if you just put a like a a flat heatsink on there i think on arrow it was just horizontal where it would blow left and right out yes. the sides um with hermes it blows more upwards um 
And I mean, it, it does subs, it, it does replace the regular E3DV6 heatsink, so you don't have that blowing straight out the side. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get air spill onto your part, yep. and you get warping and whatever. So some printers are better than others in guiding that air away from the print and only having the part cooling fan actually do the part cooling. But with Hermes, I guess, since it's being kicked upwards, it's not that much of an issue. It's still sucking in from one side, so you're still getting a bit of air movement, of course, being sucked up from where the print is, but mm-hmm. should be a lot better. Yeah. And they say uh, that, well, it's more efficient than the old than the old design, and you don't have this like really whiny fan there on there anymore. So it also should make it less noisy. And they uh yeah, one of the big selling arguments at the at the moment is always does it have a Noctua fan? Yeah, they, they will sell it with a Noctua <laughs> fan. I think that's going to be something like a premium add-on. Um, the standard fan is also not that noisy just because it's it's more efficient. And one of the nice things is also the, the filament constraint in this one. Yeah. So the filament path is really, really short and it's like constrained to the last millimeter or tenth of the millimeter. So you can, it's it's really well usable for flexible filaments. But I haven't tried yeah. it out so far. Uh, still need to figure out on, on which printer I'll be putting it. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to to give it a try. Yeah. Um, now, one question that has been asked uh, a lot is, is it actually any lighter than uh, Titan Arrow? And it probably is not a whole lot lighter. Like if you put a, a small pancake motor on the, on the Arrow... Yeah. Um, you have a, a smaller motor to start. Uh, the motor that they have on the Hermes right now, they're saying is actually over-spec'd. It is more than what they're expecting to have uh, as far as a torque requirement goes. Mm-hmm. So down the road, they may have another motor. And I think that's also in my, in my TCT interview. Um, but right now it is still a chunky extruder. But then again, you, there's not there's not there's not a whole lot of weight that you can mm-hmm. shave off anymore. Yeah. Um, it, it always has to be some sort of an EMA 17. Uh, and then you need some hot end cooling, and then of course whatever the the hot end hot side is. Um, so overall, there's unless you you switch to plastic for like the mo- motor caps, mm-hmm. um, I don't think there's a whole lot more weight that you can yeah. shave off. Yeah, yeah. Sanjay told me that like their first iteration of the Hermes should be reliable to not have like the bad publicity happening with the as with the titan arrow and yeah. just having a smaller stepper motor on there and i also had this the issue on uh, when i did the re- replacement on my cr10 that the stepper motor didn't have enough torque to push the filament through which also was part where also partly the reason was that the torque was uh, too low because one of the bearings failed but oh. yeah so first well. iteration is going to be with the bigger one there's probably going to be a little bit of a smaller one um, and the thing is you can't just direct you can't just put another uh, stepper motor on the Hermes that you can yeah. buy anywhere because the cool thing about this one uh, or about the stepper motor which kind of sets it off to like a standard extruder is that they have this flat sides on the stepper motor where you can uh, just put in nuts and then uh, really directly mount it to something and also um, have the availability of additional mounting place for fans for like touch probes and things like this and uh so for this reason they 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 put a lot of thought in it and as i said yeah i'm I'm really looking forward to to trying it out i've seen it doing like ninja flex at 
120 millimeters a, sec a second on one of their tool changers, which was kind of impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I was just thinking about like, could you could you just take the plates off of the stock motor and put them onto another motor? But the um, the gear on the shaft, I think that's part of the shaft yeah. pressed on or something. Yes. So you would need to have. I think you need to take it apart to actually see it. Um, so you would actually need to have a way to get that gear back onto the the new yeah. motor. But theoretically, you could do that. Yeah. I think with a bit of heat and a bit of uh, a bit of machining work on the new motor, you you yeah. could swap it out, but it's not as easy as yeah. just you know take one off, yeah. tighten another pulley onto yeah. it, and, and move on. You can also use it as a Bowden style feeder, yeah, which where like the the short filament path is yeah not there anymore, but. If it's I mean, it's, it's still constrained well. That's the it's that's constrained the point, well. Right? If you use one of the um, thinner, how's it called, Capricorn tubes, uh, one of the Capricorn tubes, you right. will still be able to print like even flexible filaments at quite a decent speed, I guess. Yeah, of course, in a in a Bowden set setup, the uh, the cooling setup up front doesn't really do anything anymore because I believe it's it's somewhat decoupled from the motor, so that you don't get the heat transfer from the motor into your filament path. Um, so those those that that injection molded or die cast um, heatsink up front really only cools the hot end, um, and with a Bowden adapter, I think they showed it on. Uh, on, on TCT, you basically, instead of the heat break, you yeah. screw in that Bowden adapter. Exactly. Um, th then, of course, that heatsink doesn't cool anything anymore. They were debating whether they should have like two versions um, of, of the, the Hermes, one with or without um, the heatsinks. They asked me before and were like, hey, do you think this is, this is going to bother people? And I was like, dude, why take away flexibility? Like, just make one part. Nobody's gonna bother or, or be bothered by the the heat sinks that are yeah. or the, the fan the fins that are on there. Yeah. If it's Bowden setup, yeah. Um, just no, no point taking away flexibility for a specific Bowden version. Yeah. So, yeah, just in case someone's wondering why there why there is no specific Bowden version that would get mm -hmm. rid of those fins. Yeah. And you don't need to. Yeah, it's, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Also, my opinion, and it looks cool. It looks really look cool. Somehow, like. Sanjay, Sanjay's hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, they've got the shirts yeah. and hoodies with his, yeah. <laughs> with his uh, hairstyle on there. Yeah, I think at first they're just they they will start selling only the one point seven five millimeter version, and I think at some point there's also gonna be like a three millimeter three millimeter Ooh, I version. Did, I did not know that. I thought it was gonna be one point seven five only. Uh no. I think they're planning also to do a uh, three millimeter version because there are obviously s still some printers around that use a three millimeter filament. That is true, including uh, like the low spot machines that E3D are definitely working with and, and making tool heads for. Exactly. So, okay, interesting. Pretty cool. Yeah, but that's, that was actually only like the first half day of my trip. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, the reason why I actually was in the UK was to visit like a creators meeting in Northampton, which is like an hour away from Oxford. Um, uh, this thing is called XYZ Summit. It's organized by a, how do you call it? A talent management agency. It's not a multi-channel network. It's a talent management agency. Okay. 
I don't know what actually the difference is, but yeah, I uh, I guess MCN has a bad rep. So I, they, <laughs> I was I was I was really pleasantly surprised that nobody uh, handed out like documents for well signing yourself to this network. Right. Um, yeah. So it's called yeah XYZ Summit. It's it, it was organized by the talent management agency cigarette xyz nothing to do with like tobacco what a horrible name <laughs> yeah okay. uh, didn't, didn't choose that one and it was like uh two and a half days of workshops and and get together with yeah european creators uh and it was really so, interesting because so was it like a was it like a vidcon as far as like the the feel and the flair goes of course if it's put on by an agency it's yeah. not going to be like a, a youtube pure summit but where, where would you where would you put it where would you rate it i, I was never uh attending a vidcon so i don't know what like a vidcon is uh, well so what we actually did so uh first evening was just we were in a bar and we just chatted with each other and the next day there were different sessions talking about yeah sponsors branding um um advertising uh all of the um legal stuff behind being a creator and things like this right um presentations but also like discussions in groups and this was really nice because uh lots of the people that were there were also create well makers or in like the maker or science direction so uh everybody was kind of doing the same things um so it was just really nice talking to them talking to them what what kind of of problems do they have how do they approach projects and things like these and as i said really interesting people were there so like um, um tom staunton from like the tom staunton youtube channel uh <laughs> yeah. he's doing like all of the flying contraptions and things like this ivan oh, yeah, and the the trebuchets right and the trebuchets yeah. and the electric bikes and yes, yeah. all the things. Uh, Ivan Miranda was there, the guy who was building tanks, torpedoes, Gatling guns. Never been demonetized. I was going to say that. Like, he's riding that edge pretty hard. <laughs> he always puts like hashtag toy in his uh, video descriptions. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. Uh, those two were there and uh, there will actually be a, a special podcast episode with both of them that we recorded there probably at the end of the week this week um and yeah other people that were there were for example uh brian mcfergus the real engineering guy yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. diy perks um Meth, I think Matthew. Oh, I'm so bad with names. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, there were some also bigger creators there. Unfortunately, uh, some of the guys that were advertised that will that would be attending uh, weren't there. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, it was just like really nice open discussion. Nobody was like behaving. They were somebody better. And it was cool. Right. Did a coffee roasting yeah. class at the end learned something 
So you did actually take something away from the from that summit from from the event. Yeah, you, you actually walked out feeling like you, it yeah. was worth your time. Yeah, definitely. Um, for once, just getting those people to know, um, doing networking, uh, having a better idea in which direction I probably should go to make this uh, business that I kind of run. Um, even right. better, it is, it is it is a business venture at the end of the it day, is a right? Business it puts venture, food on yeah. the table. You've you've cut down on your actual employment yep. uh, to do more YouTube. So yep. yeah, Both and of us, it's, yeah, yeah, all of the legal stuff was pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Taking a look, boring stuff. Well, boring but still important stuff. It's yeah, it's sure. it's it's boring for all of us. But as soon as we have a problem, it can get really uh really bad <laughs> gets really exciting real fast yeah it's really exciting real fast so yeah it was really cool uh i i was quite sad so panasonic was there and everybody oh, yeah. everybody who didn't have a panasonic camera got like a free panasonic camera and i didn't get one since i use a panasonic so, camera but but did you actually bring a camera were you actually there yeah running around with a gh5 no no, I did not. But there was a questionnaire before the event started. So you could book like a Panasonic hands-on session. And those people who booked the Panasonic hands-on session uh. and said that they have they, they don't have a Panasonic camera or an older Panasonic camera, they got a GH5. I was quite... So if you, if you bought it with your own money, you get nothing. But if yeah. you bought a competitor's yeah. camera or... Yeah. 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 Did they not at least have a few lenses that they could like chuck no. you away because you've they had the full frame uh Panasonics there. Oh, they were awesome, Ooh. but they didn't want Did they have the, the S1H? Yeah. The, the new one? Yeah. The big one. Oh, yeah. oh big guy. Really, really <laughs> nice. Um yeah, I I was on, I was I was a little bit jealous, to be honest, but I was happy for there were some some creators that were kind of new to the business uh, and they weren't able before to buy themselves like a $2,000 camera, including lens. Yeah, and you, you said you said it's a, it was the kit with the 14 to 140. Yeah. Yeah, which is not a, like a super great lens, but it makes yeah. it a, you know, almost a yeah. 2,000 euro kit in yeah. total. So the 14 to 140 lens was the first one that I actually bought for my smaller camera and it's it's in my opinion a perfect travel lens because you have like the wide angle you have the telephoto um so it's really nice if you are somewhere on the roads and don't want to change like lenses all of the time yeah if i mean for for like shows and stuff i think it's a bit too narrow and a bit too dark but yeah. just for like travel travel yeah. not for like show coverage yeah stuff, it's, so it's really good. if you're traveling like the u.s west coast or something like that yeah do a lot of like panorama shots it's a nice super lens so yeah you got you got you received neither of those for free that's that's a kind of a bummer yeah it's a bummer but maybe, maybe next year um so is it gonna <laughs> is the xyz summit gonna happen next year again same time same location uh probably yeah i think it was already the second or the third time that um it was happening um i hope really i thought i thought it was a, it was a first time event I don't know if it was already like uh, called the XYC Summit already last year, but right. there were some other people already there the year before doing some some similar things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I it it was kind of a lot of time I put in that 
and also like just travel expenses. The good thing was that on like Thursday there was a bank holiday in, holiday in Germany, so right. I did so not have to take have that to take. day off. That was kind of nice, but still, yeah. As I said, I I would probably go there again just for the pure reason of getting those people to know and just do a bit of connecting, networking and things like this. And especially maybe just a little bit outside of the, well, the usual group of people you're talking to, because like I, you probably are both really involved in the 3D printing community, Uh, but there are there were people like uh, there were people there lots of carpenters were there a travel guy was there um rc airplane guy was there and stuff right like but that. but all all youtubers all youtubers i think right. there were there was one like instagram person or two an instagram person an instagrammer <laughs> yeah uh but yeah Ma- mainly mainly youtube okay yeah yeah let's see maybe next year um i mean of course you had all the traveling going on and that uh, i think that that's that's what always kills trips for me where it's okay you you spend a whole week or Mm. or more on basically one event because you start flashing it out here and there and then you just add on and all of a sudden it's this huge thing exactly but if it's just a day or two like tct this year was essentially i flew in uh one day in the morning and then flew back the next day in the in the evening yeah uh, it's an intense trip, but at least it doesn't eat up a whole week. No, it still ate up a whole mm. week if, with with video editing after mm. that. But still, and the reason I yeah. well, the reason I'm not going to Earth this year is the reason I was there like uh, last week because uh, it's just too much traveling for me at the moment. Yeah. but you'll be at Earth next I will week. We'll be at Earth next week. Uh, yeah. Or this weekend, actually. Well, this yeah, this yeah. next coming weekend, right? Yeah, yeah I'm so, flying out on Friday. Cool Good morning. And it's gonna be like Friday, Saturday, Sunday again. I think so. I think it's gonna be kind of like uh, Murph, obviously, because that's the uh, the main event that I think they're looking up to. Um, so Friday night is just gonna be hanging out and all, and then Saturday, Sunday is gonna be the actual event. So that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Yeah, I would re- I would really as, like as to you go can there. Tell my voice, like I'm. I'm yeah. It's going to be fun, but it's going to be super exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun and interesting, but still work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do I do feel bad for flying so much. Like I fly to the States twice a year now, um, basically with Murph and Earth and next year again with yeah. uh, with Murph and to the UK once or twice a year. Just, uh, but at least you bought an electric car now and yeah, even I mean, charge that, it. With solar energy from your own roof, yeah, solar or, or hydropower. But I mean, that's that's not offsetting all that much. If you, <laughs> you know, if you've got how much is it? Thirteen tons of CO two for for a flight to Washington back. Like seriously, that's a lot of driving that you're gonna have to offset. Yeah, the thirteen no thirteen thousand kilometers. I don't know, a lot of CO two. Yeah, like uh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> so. I don't know, man. Uh, like going to the UK, at least there's like a train connection that you could take, but it it takes you a whole day to get there. Mm. It's like, uh. yeah, that's always the thing. Well, still, I started like when I flew back, like uh, six o'clock in the morning when I left the hotel, or no, seven o'clock in the morning, and I was back home. 
3.34 p.m. So it was kind of a long travel. Still, even though I took like the airplane. Yeah. Still, I wouldn't like to do it the way you did it last year, taking your own, co own car and driving all that way. I mean, I had a lot of stops in the, yeah. uh, on the way. Like I talked to Gina, I talked yeah. to MCPP, uh, I talked to... Adrian Boyer. Yeah, Adrian was was the the, the final goal, but I also stopped at E3D and, and there. And if you look at, at covering the distance with a car or with a plane, like it's the same amount of CO2 you blow out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Same All right. Kilometer. I, I'm trying to, to like I'm trying to look up how much it actually was uh, on on atmosphere, but for some reason I'm not finding the plan flight. Oh, there there we go. Let me let me put this in real quick here. So from Munich to Washington, one person. That is oh four tons. Four tons. Okay. Sorry. So it's thirteen thousand kilometers, four tons, and that is their end back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like not going there is not an alternative. What does like kinda, a a yeah. normal really fuel saving car have? It's like a hundred grams of CO two per kilometer. Yes, per kilometer. So 10 kilometers would be a kilo, 10,000 kilo kilometers would be like a ton, yeah, 40,000 kilometers. That's quite a way. But yeah, that's just, just roughly. Probably it's like 20 to 30,000 kilometers that you could drive with your own car to um, use the same amount of, of CO2 or two. Okay, so, like, so I, guess, I guess I was better off driving to the UK than flying there last year. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll road trip uh, the electric one to the UK at some point, but that's like... I, I actually did the route planning. Uh, <laughs> so supposedly it's going to take 18 hours. It's an 18-hour trip, which isn't, which actually isn't that bad. So that's from my door to E3D. Okay. I mean, it's like it's like 10 charge stops, but, but still, you could do it in a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a very exhausting day, but... So. Mm. Anyways, let's, let's move on. Let's um, move on. To some news, YouTube is taking away, or not taking away actually, the verified badge. Neither neither of us have the YouTube verified or Twitter verified or Facebook verified or Instagram verified badges. So you are wrong. We don't care. You what? What? I was YouTube verified, and now I, I you, still am. I still am YouTube verified. You're YouTube verified. Yes, wow, I'm I YouTube verified. So let me look uh, at that sweet sweet badge for for everyone who. Um, doesn't know that and is like regularly around Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You have to check um, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> on on Twitter, you have like this check sign on YouTube, like the same thing, which tells you that you are, I don't know, a very a real person. A real person. Um, for YouTube, that means you were able to apply, or you are able to apply to a YouTube verified sign as soon as you have 100,000 subscribers. And I did that right when I had 100,000 subscribers because they didn't want me, they they didn't want me, wanted me, to, they didn't send me my, my YouTube like badge yeah, right I'm away. So I thought, okay, you have 100,000 subscribers now. What else can you do? <laughs> Don't have yeah, channel what? I tried that at a hundred thousand, but they it, it never went through. Okay. I, I think I tried it once or twice, and it was just like, no, oh, nope. Um, nope. for me, it was actually uh, 
just like chatting with the support, uh, asking, hey, I have reached 100,000 subscribers <laughs> yesterday. Uh, can I get a YouTube verified sign? Just a minute later, we have thoroughly checked your account and uh, you are now YouTube verified. <laughs> Do you have your entire Google account connected to the, to the channel? Um, Or is that totally separate? Yes, yes. Yeah. But so, yeah. Yeah, I guess that that kind of lets them know that hey, yes, this isn't actual I genuine person. So, so the thing right, was so that was happening is that I just yeah, around two weeks ago there was a email sent out by YouTube to kind of everyone who had a verified sign. Ah, uh, yeah, we changed our terms and conditions, and you are not no longer eligible to being or like uh, showing the YouTube verified sign on your front page or name or things like this. And um, I was kind of pissed because, well, you have reached that stone and it's kind of just like a sign of gratitude that you feel you have earned. And then just at some point, YouTube has taken it away again. But I was quite yeah. happy to see that even channels with like a couple of million subscribers just got the same message. So I thought, okay, it's, it's not too bad. But um, there was quite a lot of rant happening uh, on all of the social media. And just like a day later, YouTube said, okay, everyone who had a YouTube verified badge will be able to keep it. Uh, but for like all future YouTube verified um, applicants, applications, applications yeah. there will be kind of new terms. I think what it, they actually it's want... It's a million subscribers now or something in Seriously? that okay. order of magnitude. Okay. So it, it's going to be fairly rare. But I mean, I, I see why they're, they're doing that and why they're like cost downing the, the YouTube play button for 100k too, because... All of a sudden, there's so many channels that you know are eligible for like the 100k play button and the verified, and yeah. it's just the, the system wasn't made for that. Yeah. Back then, when when they set up the terms, it was okay because there were a lot less channels that were reaching those goals. But now it's like, yeah, 100k is is almost nothing. Yeah. You are yeah totally right there. It it's it's nice that they well step back from that and said okay um you guys kind of can keep it but this is just one time just once again one thing that youtube just changes something and it's kind of just hurting themselves because they get so much yeah bad 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 talk about them at that point it's it's just communication again it's something that youtube has never been too great at yep. where it's uh what was it the adpocalypse yep. back then that was like where, where it first came up where youtube does something and it's like oh by the way we decided we're gonna do this and nobody knew about it and they didn't give reasons they didn't give it was just like oh yeah we're doing this now and i that they were trying to get better at communicating changes like that but as we see they've not they've not mastered it yet yeah uh so with With you being YouTube verified, what does that mean? Especially since you can't reapply if you happen to lose it. So that means you can't change the channel name, I guess? Probably, yes. <laughs> right. Um, but otherwise, I don't Not really have you, any benefits. Me too. Right. Besides. Oh, you don't have any, any extra limitations if you don't want to lose that checkmark. Mm. Do, you, do you lose that checkmark if you get like community strikes? Um, I don't think so. I think one of the reasons 
could be is changing the channel name or uh, getting sub 100,000 subscribers again. Ooh. That could also be like a cause for it, taking it back again. But otherwise, I think it's, it's I think, something that should be pretty stable. Yeah. Well, of course, if I now Google, hey, how to lose YouTube verified news that comes up. No, no action information. <laughs> yeah. All right. Speaking of things that are being taken away, <laughs> the Lego DMCA takedown. Uh, we did talk about that last time, right? No, we did, we did not. We did not Actually, talk let me, about. Let me check the notes. We did no, no, we did not talk about that yet. So I will also be talking about that with Iwan and Tom in the special podcast episode that is probably coming out at the weekend. But yeah, maybe you can just tell us a couple of things. What what happened there once again after the it's, World of War Games DMCA yeah, takedown? World of Tanks, World yeah. of Tanks thing. Uh, I mean, it's the classic DMCA takedown company things, uh, thinks that uh, designs are infringing their trademark, copyright, whatever, and issues a DMCA takedown. In that case with Lego, it was, you know, again, pretty pretty widespread and pretty non-specific. So they took in a whole bunch of like Lego fan parts, uh, like upscaled Lego blasters designs uh compatible bricks anything that was kind of like in any way loosely related to lego and yeah like why why are they afraid that why question mark are they afraid that like some competitor is gonna go in and start 3d printing legos like come on like yeah it's fan designs. It's yeah. the same thing with with Star Wars and and all the other like uh, Marvel. Star Wars technically is the same company as Marvel. Yeah, um, is Marvel with, Disney? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, it's all Disney now. Okay, like Disney all the way down. Um, I think I think like Star Wars specifically has taken a, a pretty granular approach to what is fan art and what is just a straight up copyright infringement. Um, I think generally they're pretty okay with like fan designs, like R2D2 builds. There are some mm -hmm. terms that you can do and cannot do, like what you can sell and what you can't. Mm -hmm. But with Lego here, this wasn't like a takedown of a company that was selling Lego knockoffs or anything. It was literally, it was literally community designs that were taken off of uh, Thingiverse and yeah. such. Yeah. I, why? It's, why? It's, it's like it's like a lawyer who just sees, okay, here's somebody uploading our stuff. Hmm. This needs to go. It's like the Terminator going rogue or something. Yeah. <sighs> I can't really understand it either. Um, yeah. It's Lego, just, why you do this? Lego, why you do this? Uh, yeah. The interesting. But my mini factory. Yeah, my mini yes. factory actually started a competition which is called Beyond the Brick, um, where, well, designs were not only taken down from Thingiverse, but also my mini factory. So, also my mini factory, the community was hurt in some kind of way. And now my mini factory started a competition called Beyond the Brick, which asks for community ideas or designs for other interlockable pieces that can replace Legos. 
Um, so yeah. for example, um, make anything. Um, how's he called? Devon. What did he have? Devon. Yeah. Devon. Uh, he did a couple of designs in that direction. He's poly, poly, whatever things. Um, just also kind of having a similar idea in the head, having bricks that you can connect together to make one big thing in the end. And they yeah. are actually, yeah, looking for community contributions. And in the end, um, the most downloaded design will get a free 3D printer. Yeah, an E-Lego O <laughs> Mars. <laughs> So yeah, Elegoo Mars. It's it's nice how they've uh, how they've reframed that name. Yeah. Um, of course, my manufacturer sometimes gets a bit of a bad rep for for like you know the way they produce designs and and the way their designers are treated. But I mean, praise where praise is due. Yeah. Like this is this is a bit of a in your face uh, against Lego. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. Nice. Yeah. So that's going to run until I'm looking for the due date here. Here, November 4th. So if you have a design or if you want to design something that is modular. Yeah. November 4th is the deadline. I keep thinking of, of uh, next, next. Do you, do you know those? Yes. So that's like the octagonal. I think it's octagonal. Yeah, octagonal like system where you have rods and then these disks that yeah. you can connect them yeah. to. That was, that was pretty nice too. Yeah. I mean... Definitely not Lego infringing, but then again, they probably have their own design patents on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it just goes to show that if you want to have something that is like a modular building set, there, there's more than just the option of pushing like little pins into other blocks yeah. like Lego does. Yeah. All right. I think yeah. that kind of sums up the news so far. Isn't that much happening at the moment? I think, yeah. October, well, November. We two are just busy with uh, with traveling and, and shows are happening yeah. and like nobody's really doing anything because everyone's tied up in, in those shows as well. <laughs> yeah. The show's going to be more regular in the future again. So sorry for that, guys. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So that is covered the, the covering the Lego DMCA takedown topic. So topic of the week, one that I just thought of this morning. How much did 3D printers actually change? How much have they evolved? And I put in there since the cells mendel, since that was my first printer that I can base it off. Um, what did you start on? Mendel ninety. The Mendel ninety, good old Mendel ninety. I guess that's a that's a bit. I mean, that's a lot more modern design. A lot more of a modern yeah. design for sure. Um, so I I don't know for everyone who who doesn't know what the cells mendel is. Um, this is like this. Um, how's the shape actually called? Like a tri extruded triangle? The It's a Toblerone shape, a, a, basically. The Toblerone shaped uh, 3D printer <laughs> that consists out of lots of threaded rods and probably 100,000 nuts and bolts. Uh, it's like 1100 fasteners, <laughs> we counted. It's a lot. So, so this so was It doesn't have any any sheet framing like the Mendel 90 or the mm. then your Prusa Mendel I2 and on had. It's it's yeah. literally just a floating frame. Yeah. It was a rough design for sure. It was a rough design. Um, yeah, what has changed since then? Um, it is it is interesting. You, you just said uh, this printer had uh, 1,100 parts. I think parts count. Uh 
assembling even a kit 3D printer nowadays doesn't take you like a whole weekend. Uh, if you have, we we worked on a whole week on that printer to get it printing, <laughs> like building it, reprinting parts that broke during building, uh, figuring out the software, getting the firmware running. We did pretty much all that ourselves, <laughs> and, and and spent you know just a week on on getting it somewhat yeah. working, and then another week on on getting it tuned yeah. in. And that was two of us. Yeah. So yeah, accessibility, um, way easier. So nowadays you can get your three D printer kits that. Yeah, for example, for a um, a Prusa i3 Mark III uh, takes you like five, six, seven hours to set it up. And you have a manual that it can follow. That is worth a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this yeah. this is something. And you can get the fully assembled printers nowadays uh, or even almost assembled printers nowadays. I mean, you could get the fully assembled printers back then too, um, but they were from companies like Stratasys or 3D Systems. Yeah. So those were like technically fully assembled, but they were 15,000 euros <laughs> if you wanted one. Um, but I think before you look into all the things that have changed, I mean, a lot of things have not really... Well, hold on. Have, what, what actually didn't change since the sales middle? I think... Well, with the sales Mendel specifically, I don't think there's a whole lot that is still the same today as it was back then. But for example, the Prusa Mendel, which was like a a simpler version of the sales Mendel, the first Prusa Mendel still had that triangular frame, but um, just parts count cut, you know, by three. Mm -hmm. So, or by a factor of three. Um, I was thinking like, okay, we're still using an extruder and the hot end, but... Back when I started, like we were, we were already using stepper motor extruders, so ones that you could actually directly control how much material they were feeding. But right before that, a year or two before that, people were still using DC motor geared uh, extruders, where you have like a an actual threaded rod okay. that would rub against the filament and kind of thread it into the hot end slowly. Okay, and you didn't really have any any control. You had on and off, and you knew the feed rate, like it was somewhat consistent. Mm -hmm. But you didn't actually get facts, uh, features like retractions or <laughs> different printing speeds or even accelerations were in a thing with um, the the MakerBot Cupcake CNC, for example, or even the the newer ones uh, from MakerBot. Like you couldn't get uh, you couldn't get acceleration because first of all the firmware wasn't doing it, the firmware couldn't handle it, and also um, you couldn't stop your extruder. Like you turn it on and, and it was it, it would go. Like you could pause it, but you couldn't retract. Uh, or change the speed so that changed but also the hot end itself has changed a lot like mm -hmm. back in the day it was all pek based so mm -hmm. we had a heater on the bottom and then instead of having like an all metal design as we have today you have an insulator um, made out of a high temperature polymer that is pek printabot actually used that sort of design for a long long while um, after that but even that changed a lot I built my first printer without a heated bed, and we were printing ABS. Like you can, you can go figure how well that worked out. <laughs> yeah, um, I think just 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 right around that time, uh, PLA even became like like usable for three D printers. I mean, PLA kind of always was around, but it was more ABS was the material that most people were printing. Um, for example, printers didn't have a part cooling fan mm -hmm. up until. Uh, well, actually, up until PLA the, like the Prusa i3, okay. the 
the i2 i don't think had a part cooling fan like it was the the extruder mounts we had back then were standardized like think of that like a standard extruder hardened mount so basically you had a platform you had a hole in there where you poked your hardened through and then it 40 millimeter or so or 50 millimeter distance where you had two m4 screws going through yeah um and then you basically had your carriage was horizontal so your two x-axis guide rods were horizontal Mm -hmm. and not vertical like with the prusa i2 i think changed that so basic basic 3d printer construction was was different but i i feel like I feel like the prints we got off of that sells Mendel once it was tuned in, either we didn't know any better or it was just fat layers and over extrusion and all that that came together that made the prints look really good. Mm-hmm. I think today with super thin layer heights, you see every little yeah. flaw. You see every little issue that your printer has. Back then it was just like, there you go. There's your print. Looks good. <laughs> looks better than the last print, you know. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can still remember all of the parts on my Mendel 90 and they were printed in white ABS at ridiculously high layer heights of 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 millimeters. And they looked nice. They had their own, like, well, unique look due to the layers that you were able to see. So, yeah. But I don't know, was there up till now, like, a real revolution in desktop 3D printing or is it just always a, an evolution I think, yeah, one thing, well, the printers themselves got easier in their making and you have like now more dedicated parts parts made specifically for 3D printers and not just like repurposing other parts. I had to make the the hopped bolt myself yeah. with a with an M4 tap or an yeah. M5 tap. <laughs> exactly. There were jigs that you could print to make yeah. those hot bolts, which you couldn't print if you didn't have a hot bolt yet. So that, that was fun. Yeah. But I think one really important thing is the software, be it the firmware that is running on the printer, but also the slicing software. Yeah. Um, things that we print nowadays would have hardly been possible with like the slicers from five or six years ago because they were features were missing and they were just so slow so if if you put like a part with a couple of million triangles in there a couple of million like no no way yeah like uh -uh. (laughs) that's not even slow that is downright impossible yeah Uh, i started on skyforge yeah I mean, that that takes you two hours to get set up yeah. in the first place like to, to even install the software because yeah. there's like python no what was it python even i don't know there are a ton of dependencies that you have to get in the right version and then like nothing makes sense in that slicer like you, you don't see how those things interact or work together so because python wasn't or the um, skyforge wasn't compiled it was actually being it was interpreted so it didn't have in, in, uh, compiled code it was real-time interpreter code I, I think there was some optimization happening but even just printing something like a 3d benchy was that model around back then even Pro- i don't know probably not but slicing a 3d benchy would take you like 50 minutes of processing time <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like another five minutes for the preview to load because that was another process that would then start. I think that there's being faster, both in the printers being faster and the software being faster, just gives you so much more of an opportunity to tune in your settings. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can change something and see the results almost immediately yeah. now. 
Um, whereas back then you had to slice it and, and wait another 15 hour, uh, 15 minutes. So And there wasn't something like always... a, a three-dimensional G-code preview. Oh, there was. There was. There was? But it wasn't like volumetric okay, yeah. the way that, yeah, that yeah. Uh, Slick Theory has it now or, or actually any mm. slicer has it now. I remember um, it was just taking a look just at lines. the slices. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was rough. It was really rough. Now, of course, the softer side, yes, and also having presets, yeah. having just a profile that is ready to go, or even just using the defaults out of a, mm. of a, out of a modern slicer just gives you good prints usually. That's a big, big difference. Definitely. Yeah, but now I yeah. think I think one of the things, uh, if you take a look at the modern 3D printers, is also that they at least become a little bit smarter, like filament runoff detection, automatic bed sensing, um, and other things. Sorry. <clears throat> um, this is also something that is really handy or that has been really uh, that has been becoming handy quite a bit over the last years and that just wasn't there at that point yeah let me, let me think so heated beds were just coming around heated beds bed sensing wasn't around for a long long time part cooling fans also not really a thing um, I think Printabot were actually some of the first that actually used um, the, the inductive sensors that we're using today um, as a bed sensor. Mm -hmm. So those guys were, were innovating. Um, flex plates on your bed. Huh. <laughs> That's relatively new, actually. Were Prusa who started that or had flex beds already been around before... Like the Mark III. I th there must have been some before that. Yeah, probably. I'm, but, I'm but, sure. but, but maybe not in the style as having um, like a spring steel bed. Maybe there were different solutions around where like the, the sheet that you print on was actually the magnetic part. Which is still, I think, the solution if you take a look at an Ender 3 Pro or something like that. Yeah, um, I mean, the the real non-detachable print bed thing actually just came up when uh, you started getting heated beds because then you were using Captain Tape. Uh, obviously, that that is what you use on top of a heated bed to get the ABS to stick. Uh, and with Captain Tape over things, like you wanted a good thermal interface to your heater so having another flexible removable part kind of wasn't a thing anymore i think before that it, it was actually having some sort of a, of a flex bed wasn't that uncommon uh one of our first beds on the salesman was just a, a thin steel sheet um not spring steel but actual steel yeah. um yeah glass is now glass beds are still still being used yeah Glass was one of the materials that was known to be flat-ish, flat enough to be usable. <laughs> yeah, but it, when the thing that that that's really made the difference is just usability and, and approachability. Yeah. Um, today, you un the expectation is you unbox a printer, you slice something in the profiles you get, and the thing works. You don't have to do any tuning. You don't have to do any debugging typically, unless there's like an actual fault with the unit you got. 
you take it out of box or you assemble it and generally it's going to work. It's going to tell you like, hey, you need to level the bed first. Um, you, you do the, the leveling assistant, whatever, or you, you do it automatically. You load a filament and that's it. Um, uh, filaments though, filaments, I, th I feel like have not made that much of a, of a leap forward. Well... I, th I think you have more like modified materials, especially for the for 3D printing around nowadays, that don't warp that much, that can be printed at lower temperatures. But yeah, nylon filament was around, uh, polycarbonate was around, ABS was around, um, PLA was around. I don't know PTG when that actually started like um, getting onto the market. Well. Back in my day, we had ABS and PLA, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you, I think there was some experience with printing uh, nylon trimmer line, but um, <laughs> there was always that that big word of warning with it, like, hey, you may actually kill yourself if you if you breathe a fume, so maybe not do that. Um, so that's, yeah, that those were the two materials. But in general, like, if you look at the PLA back then and the PLA today, like, it's probably not that different. Mm -hmm. um, I know for a while. PLA was a was a 185 degree material mm -hmm. um, for the longest time actually, and then the, the newer higher temp uh, grades were actually a relatively recent switch. Um, so that that is that is a relatively big change, and I think it, it also changes how you print your PLA because if you don't have a part cooling fan, a lower temperature kind of helps because you're not pushing that much mm -hmm. energy into your part. Um, but yeah, from that I think it's materials the, the materials we actually print or most people print pla is still very very similar yeah well as long as as it's working yeah and of course i think that the big one price price that is yeah. how much did 3d printers change since the sales metal um i need to check i think i paid 500 pounds for my mendel 90 kit from knobhead knobhead yeah yeah well that was uh that was actually a really good deal then um we spent over a thousand euros on the uh prusa mendel uh not on the sales mendel okay in fasteners parts and all that 634 pounds in that is actually november 2014 so at that time when i bought the mendel 90 there were like two more or less competing printers at least here in germany on the market it was like the velleman k6300 yeah the one you could get from conrad exactly and uh the mental 90 those were like the two printers i thought about buying and i'm really happy that i bought the mental 90 because the velleman was just horrible yeah, yeah i mean of course you could get the um uh you could build yourself a prusa kit or a Prusa, were there kits? Possibly. Yeah. But you could print the parts and, and source the parts yourself. Yeah, but the, uh, but print, the thing print, print was, at that point, I just didn't want to bother sourcing all of the parts. I've seen yeah. like all of the printed part kits that you could get online. But I thought, oh my goodness. And um, the, the Mendel 90 was so great because everything just yeah. came in a box. You had a great manual. 
uh, you had like great explanations how to get your first print running. The first print that I did, I, that I still have, um, like the small, uh, small Arduino figurine, um, whatever, uh, worked out perfectly on the first try. And that was in 2014. So yeah. the the Mendel 90 was a fantastic design and, mm. and you know big thumbs up to Nophead for for designing that thing. Um I had two and still have uh, a version of the Mendel 90 and the Mendel 90 is actually what inspired pretty much all the designs today. Like the Prusa i3 is based on the Mendel 90. Yeah. Um that that flat sheet design. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just looked up the photos from from my first salesman. That was uh, September 2011 when Ooh. I finished that. That's even three years earlier than I than I started. Yeah. Early adopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, look looking at the prints. I mean, oh, they they were they were rough. I actually always wanted to convert my CNC router at that point to a 3D printer because well, I got into like electronics and cnc machining and stuff like that with my self-built cnc router but and i think i even bought all of the parts i would have needed to convert the router to a 3d printer but that was all like actuated with um with threaded rods so it would have been horribly slow yeah so it was yeah, it was probably dash. a really oh, good decision so. to just to just say okay screw it i'll i'll buy a 3d printer directly and don't really bother with all of the problems i have with converting my cnc router to a 3d printer yeah get something proper quote unquote yeah um i'm, I'm just looking at the board we were using we were using a sangonuino and it's still using the same uh pololo driver chips yeah like the same stepper driver chips uh still the same form factor yeah still the same pinout <laughs> um that's one thing that didn't change yeah <laughs> Ah, uh, good times, good times. So we have come a really far way, but yeah, I am. There's I'm, not been a revolution. No, it hasn't. Been, there hasn't been a revolution. I'm still looking for a revolution. Um, I even think that evolutions have becoming slower and slower because yeah. I don't know. The last three years, it was all just. CR10 variants. Uh, printers were getting cheaper. Like that's were, a good thing. Yeah. Good printers were getting cheaper. Yeah. Cheap printers were getting good. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm really excited to see what's going to happen over the next years and, and who is going to be like the company or the makerspace or whatever who comes up with something radically new. And this is the nice thing if you have... Uh, now such a big community with lots of really bright heads that there are probably some around who start something new and that's gonna maybe change like the future or the the, the future of all of our 3D printers. It's, I mean, technically like anything changes the future yeah. of all of us, yeah. butterfly effect and all that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. see what you mean. It's going to be interesting looking back in, in another eight years and seeing how far we've come if we're still using CO10 versions uh, or, or N3 versions. And if there's still the Pululu A4988 stepper motor drivers on some of our printers. Probably not, I'd say. 
<laughs> because it's not going to make it's you're just going to buy a new board at some point because like the the actual processor and board and, and all that is, is like 15 bucks of value like there's no point in putting the extra connectors on yeah uh anyway speaking of things that are revolutionary um let's move into questions into the one from aloha milton what about printing large and rough and then subtractive milling the surface for final geometry and surface quality? Might be a conjunction of speed of production, strength of structure, and surface quality that is attainable through a hybrid additive subtractive process. And you've been at E3D. You probably know what machine is out there that could do that. Yeah, there's there's the tool changer. Um, Obviously. Like E3D's tool changer platform where you could potentially put different additive and sub subtractive tools in there to 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 sorry to do exactly that um the thing which is kind of the limiting factor there is software because you need a preprocessor that can generate the g code uh that is able to switch from like 3d printing to subtractive machining. Um, and I think this is still the challenging point. And uh, yeah, E3D, they, well, they, they also just, um, they, they didn't have the perfect solution for that. So they kind of just tweaked a little bit their G-code that was actually, um, that should actually just have been used for normal 3D printing. And, and yeah, and tweaked it a little bit, but uh, I think for that, and this is something which is maybe becoming more and more available in the future, is that there are pro post processors that the, that there are sorry pre processors that there are slicers that are capable of doing both, and I think Fusion three hundred and sixty might be one of the tools that might go in that direction because they are really working hard on their additive suite at the moment and. The nice thing about that package is that you have subtractive machining and you have additive manufacturing maybe in one tool and you can do like really cool operations with it. Yeah. I mean, what we can already do is just to have a standard 3D print and then, you know, have that finished, have that printed and then after the fact go in and mill some critical surfaces if you need that. Yeah. Um, and that would allow you, of course, if you just need a few functional surfaces to use a thicker nozzle, higher layer heights, um, taller layer heights higher temperatures just to have your print you know bond well and be mechanically strong but not actually uh you know super accurate uh so that combination of, of going in and after the fact already is an option but we're 3d printing because we need geometries that you can't produce otherwise so if you need like an internal geometry that's that needs to be super precisely milled because of fluid dynamics or whatever uh, you cannot just go in after the fact. You actually need to print a layer or two and then go in and mill those and then go back with the with the additive head. Um, so that's that's a different well a different challenge there. Mm -hmm. And I mean in general, out in the industry, uh, combined additive subtractive processes are already a thing. Like you can already get machines that do um, pow laser powder bed fusion uh as in the stuff that one click metal mm -hmm. are doing uh, for example where you print with a metal powder fuse it together with a laser and then in the same machine uh, how was it uh, in the same machine even you have a subtractive head that then mills the parts to yeah. size so that's something that is very much already a possibility 
also know from from like tool making where you have like a, a laser welding process where you weld with powder onto a part and build up a surface and then in the same setup you basically machine that surface down to spec um if you want a rough idea of how that looks check out a bomb a bomb a bomb a bomb i don't know the number a bomb on youtube he does like um heavy turning and heavy machining and he also does like the um powder welding mm. onto shafts that have like um worn bearing races yeah. or bearing not bearing races bearing surfaces um so he adds material and then machines it back down and it's the same mm. idea we're already doing that but what we really need for the for the actual combination is software that is aware of both of those processes yeah. right now it's you do one process and then the other one on top yeah. will be a niche but might be something for the future um to get even more out of uh, your 3d prints Speaking yeah. of software and maybe a niche, um, Master Moparman was asking, well, your next project should be a White Knight belt printer. Uh, you don't have a belt printer? I don't have a belt printer. Why don't we have belt printers? Yeah, no. Why don't we have belt printers? Um, because there's still a MakerBot patent on them. Okay. That's why we don't have belt printers. Like very simple solution, yeah. <laughs> very simple answer. Uh, no, I mean, so the White Knight belt printer. Um, for those of you who don't know, is a printer that has a belt for a bed, and instead of printing perpendicular to that belt onto it, the printer is tilted back by I think thirty degrees or so, um, and that does two things. First of all, it circumvents that MakerBot patent. Uh, second of all, it allows you to print technically infinitely long parts so the belt can keep moving forward and the printer just keeps adding material in the back and it just keeps moving and moving and moving so if you print like a sword you can have it actually peel off of your belt and, and point out the front of the printer while it's still being worked on in the back of course the challenge that introduces is uh your layers aren't perpendicular and they're not perpendicular to your bed so essentially, if you have a part, all your layers are going to be like 30 degree shifted too. Now, you, the the way the software handles that, of course, is you have a preprocessor, again, that skews your part, and then you slice that skewed part. It's so basically, you have like a, you know, if you have like this glass, this glass would be like slanted. Uh, you see that in your slicer like that, and then your printer gets that you know, what it what is typically a slanted G-code, and because the printer's geometry is so special, it then undistorts it in the printer itself. <laughs> it does create a few interesting challenges when it comes to overhangs um, because you're, everything is now an overhang mm -hmm. or less of an overhang. Yeah. So it's a nice project. And so, I mean, the, the White Knight is a really nicely designed printer for sure. Um, I would personally probably like to have a, a regular perpendicular pr belt printer instead. Just because it doesn't have that that odd slanted thing to it, mm. um, but I don't know. Have, have you looked into them? I don't know. I I, th I think they would just constrain me too much and make the parts not like. Um, I would need to think more about my design and the parts I make with it if I had such a printer and since uh most of the time like print volume is not the problem for me i 
don't know if I would really benefit with having such a printer. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting that he's... Yeah, go ahead. It, it is an interesting idea, but I think it's at the moment not suitable for my applications. I could see it in in a way if you do did like serial production of parts because you can like just print forever and even separate parts they just fall off the belt at the end and you can collect yeah. them in a bucket exactly that's the perpendicular idea yeah. um but it's interesting that you say like um size is not a constraint for you that you usually run into um probably around the time that this podcast is going to come out i'm going to have a video up on my uh, printed teleprompter and that is a part that i printed off of the the raptor which is a 40 by 40 by 50 centimeter printer and it's just so nice just not having to worry about size, like being able to print big parts where you just go, oh, yeah, sure, I can print it. It's going to take a, a week, but of course, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, but but it's again, the thing is so big nice. printers also come with downsides. Um, and be it only... They take up a lot of space. Sorry? They take up more space. They take up a lot of space. They take up a lot yeah. of space. They need way more energy. They might be not as stiff as other ones you might not be able to print that fast but this is usually not constant slower (laughs) for me it's yeah i'm I'm an impatient person i want to have my parts as fast as possible so for me speed is key well then then use a smaller printer for the parts that you need right away yeah but you've got plenty right (laughs) actually i don't have too many to be honest um yeah but also if you, if you need more printers, like um, I'm just going to forward you a few emails. Um, there are plenty of companies that want to send me their printers. <laughs> I have actually a new one behind me that I was struggling with over the last weeks, which... Yeah, I was looking at that one. The the Sapphire 3D something something, like a 330 bucks linear rail X Core XY printer. Man, that bed looks shaky. But it doesn't matter since it's just moving in Z direction. That's the thing. No, but 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 when the when the printer itself shakes, especially because you have it on on blocks, um, when the x y axis shakes because there is some inertia there, isn't the bed wobbling? Because I've had printers that really had issues with that. Oh, it's pretty stiff. What's the size of those rods? Uh, twelve millimeters. Twelve. Yeah, right. that's pretty stiff to be honest. Um, okay. It's just unfortunately another one of these chinese like 90 percent printers uh, where it's like not worth doing a review <sighs> yeah it's, uh... in theory it could be a nice printer but i this thing wasn't working out of the box just because the pid values of the hot end were so out of the place that if you set it to 200 degrees celsius it overshot to 260 and never wow. started printing okay. that is that is bad so just how how does that go through through quality control? Like because there isn't any, yeah. oh. and so they, they've literally never used the production machine. I don't machines. know. And the thing is, you can't even do PID uh, auto PID tuning because if you do auto auto PID tuning, it overshoots and auto PID just says temperature too high. Can't do auto PID. So what I was actually doing is I was using a hair dryer that I set to like no temperature at all and was externally cooling the hot end to remove the first <laughs> overshoot that I could do PID tuning. And this is ridiculous. Wow. This is so ridiculous. Is, is it is it 
And that sounds like it's a 12 volt heater cartridge in a 24 volt system. Maybe I like, I don't know. That that just means that it's got t- way too much power. I don't know. All right. It's, it's uh, I don't understand it. It's uh, just yeah. one of these things again. Yeah. With a bit extra, with a bit of care, you could make these machines so much And then better. the thing is, um, the I was able to do the PID the tuning custom. and then I was uni- using like the M304, is it? I think to set the PID values. Yeah. But they are not saved. I don't know. Uh, you can use that command. Doesn't change anything. Can't start printing. Okay. So what I had to Weird actually do is to like manually preheat preheat the printer and to remove like the temperature settings in the G code and to just like start okay. printing at some temperature. Wow. Uh. All right. Yeah. All right. One of those days again. Yeah, but still I it it, it prints kind of nice when it does, but uh, yeah. There 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 will be probably something on my channel in a couple of weeks time just because well it, I, how have i put it uh it's it's a project not a tool <laughs> yeah but if you want a project not a tool there are plenty of other there options there are plenty of there. other options but the linear rails are they are nice um so i barely have any ringing on this machine even though i run it at 80 millimeters a second it's nice Probably just got the acceleration settings really low from the factory. Uh, they were really low, but I actually put them up all the way to like two, three, four thousand millimeters per second squared for infill and stuff like that. It's working well. Still pretty low. The uh, normal Prusa is printing like the infill at a thousand millimeters a second squared. Also very low. I, I I remember back in my day, <laughs> just setting the, the acceleration to to like over nine thousand, and I, I mean there was some ringing, yeah, but it was it was quick. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways, I think that's a good place to to uh, you know finish up this episode. Yeah. Um, we don't have any notes for like the the usual stuff we say, but uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube, on Spotify, on not Android, Google Podcast, because apparently there's an issue with the playback. We're, we're working on that. Stefan, do you, do you still want to answer one more question? No, I think that's fine. Okay. And yeah. So guys, thanks for being here. We will see you in, or Stefan will see you all in one more week. Yep. Um, with the special episode. You're going to record us. I'm going to have a special episode yep. from Earth, I think, yep. if I get to that. And yeah, that's been it. See you guys around. Thanks for listening and goodbye. See ya. Bye.